This is Straight Ahead with the 606 Club of London and David Lewis. It's not your situation, I just need contemplation, no. so systematic it's just that i'm an addict for your love not the only one that holds you i never ever should have told you you're my only love not the only one that holds you never ever should have told you you're my Welcome to Straight Ahead for this week, brought to you as ever, along with London's leading music venue, the 606 Club of Chelsea. I'm David Lewis, and you're with me for the next couple of hours. Some great music we've got this week, so I hope you can keep me company. 
The track we opened up the show with this week featured one of our favourites at the club. Imani was on the lead vocals there. The rest of the band was Graham Flowers on trumpet, Rosie Turton was on trombone, Leo Richardson tenor sax, Sophie Alloway drums, Andrew Noble was on the Hammond B3, and Clement Regret guitar. And of course, it was a cover of that great Toto song. You'll also know that Luther did it, Georgie Porgie. The next track we got ready to play is from British pianist Luke Smith. He's got an EP out at the moment called It's Time. There's a track I've played on the afternoon show, actually, from that EP that features Roy Ayers. But uh, the track we've got looked out for you this week on Straight Ahead from Luke is Message to Brazil.
Smith with Message to Brazil. Our guest on the show this week is saxophonist, composer and educator Mornington Lockett. We'll be hearing from Mornington in the not too distant future. But uh, we've also got a featured album on the show this week, the brand new album from Sophia Ripley called The Red Shed. I'm going to get in two or three tracks on that album before the end of the show this week. There'll be something from Buddy Rich, of course, and also from Kansas Smitty. But next to play is the Scalimatic Orchestra from an album of theirs released back in 2009 called Annie Get Your Gun. And this is Do It Again. Sorrow in a room with your two times. 
that you're not a gambling man Then you find you're back in Vegas With a handle in your hand Your black cards can make you money So you hide them when you're able In the land of milk and honey You must put them on your table Yeah, you go back, Jack, to it back now to 1969 and the uh, Billy Taylor trio. This is from the album Sleeping Be. It features Ben Tucker on the bass. Grady Tate is on the drums. We're going to hear from Grady later on as well. And of course, Billy Taylor himself is on the piano. And this is Le Petit Mambo. Oh, 
mentioned a little earlier on that we have a feature album on the show this week. It's called The Red Shed, the brand new offering from Sophia Ripley. She was kind enough to send it through to me last week. And it's basically a live studio uh, recording. So what you hear is what they laid down. And the other musicians on the album with her are Alan Horton on piano, Dirk Griffin on the bass and Bobby Orr on drums. It's an album full of great jazz standards. And the first track we've got lined up for you is What Is This Thing Called Love? Do ba da ba 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 
tracks from our featured album this week the red shed from sophia ripley more to come a little later on time that we get into our buddies bit for the week and if you have listened to the show before and a regular listener you'll know that the class of 78 album is one of my treasured albums i don't think it's available as a download it's still just on vinyl this is my my late dad's original copy that i've got signed now by both buddy and his daughter kathy rich and this is a fantastic number that i've been in love with four years i've played it on the show a number of times but uh, i'm never going to tire of it features the amazing soprano work of steve marcus and this is birdland Birdland 
Charlie's bit this week was a track written by Joe Zawinul, who you may well remember was the keyboard player with Weather Report, and uh, I love that feature on Birdland by Steve Marcus on the soprano, a real standout track from that album, Class of 78. Time that we meet our guest for the week, and that is Mornington Lockett, as I mentioned earlier on. But before we hear from Mornington, one of the tracks that he loves, this is Ronnie Scott, Some of My Best Friends Are Blues. If you want to know what's happening at The Six, check out the website at 606club.co.uk.
So it is time that we welcome our guest. And this week we have saxophonist, composer and teacher, Mornington Lockett. Mornington, hello. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's a hot day here. We're melting away. Yes, yeah. When we're recording this, we're in the middle of our heat. We're all waiting for the thunderstorms to arrive, which as yet haven't. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll uh, keep it brief so we can both get into the shade. But um, thank you for your time. And I know you've got a gig coming up at the at the six. We'll talk about that in a short while. But if I can, I'm just going to start back to front and talk about the lockdown that you and the rest of us have been through. And obviously, as an artist, it will have hit you directly, completely. You know, obviously, gigs have been cancelled. So what have you spent your time doing pretty much since March? Yeah, yeah, it's been difficult to keep it. Well, actually, having said that, I've had a lot of online uh, lessons, mm-hmm. a lot of online teaching, which has been great. Um, I've also done a couple of videos. I've, I've done uh, participated on a video for Sax.co, the uh, World Saxophone Collaboration video with uh, all sorts of people on that. Um, Tom Scott and uh, quite a few names. Gerald Albright's on there as well. So they've, they've got a few people clubbing together. Yeah, yeah. And that's pretty good. And we're mm-hmm. all sort of jamming away on this track. Mm-hmm. So that's nice. Um, and I've done um, some promotion for Sios uh, Mouthpieces. Also did a kind of um, artist collaboration video for people to all kind of smash together. So that's good too. So I've been doing some So you kept pretty stuff. creative and busy. You kept your, you kept, yeah. you kept your chops in then. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, Is it been always. a good thing for musicians to be able to actually just get back to the basics of having more time to practice? Because obviously when you're out gigging, I'm taking it that part of your um, career yeah. goes to one side, doesn't it? Because you just haven't physically got the time. So has that been a benefit? Yeah, I've had more time to practice than ever, really, in the mm. last 20 years. Yeah, obviously, yeah. Yeah, it's been quite good, quite interesting, yeah. So let's um, look back at the, the young Mornington then, shall we? How did you first get involved in music? Was it something that was around in the house? I know clarinet, I think, was your first instrument, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, that's right. Or, or recorder, or, or actually at, at uh, primary school, it was like the triangle. Always <laughs> wanted to have something, you know. You always had to actually be got something in common. <laughs> that's where my musical <laughs> career stopped, though. So yeah, yeah. When, how did you come across the clarinet? Because that's meant by default, it's a very hard instrument to play, isn't it? So. It is if you're if you're little, yeah. I think it was just one of the things on offer. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so it's by chance, really. Do you fancy the flute? Do you fancy the violin? Kind of thing, and then I don't know how it came about. So it's by chance, really. And did you take to it straight off? Did you find you could make a decent sound on it straight away, pretty much? Oh yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I loved it. I loved mm. it. And then, yeah. when did you begin to move from clarinet over to the other horns, over to the saxes? Um. Through getting into into jazz, um, I heard some uh, people like Dave Shepard and Benny Goodman on the radio, and I so I started getting to jazz clarinet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always listened to Humphrey Littleton's show and Peter Clayton's show on the radio, mm-hmm. and then I got into sax. Um, and then I used to play in the Sandown and Shanklin because I come from the Isle of Wight. Sandown and Shanklin military band uh, on a Sunday and. In, in return for, for doing that concert every week, they used to let me borrow their saxophone. So I had a marvelous parrot, Chinese saxophone called a parrot, mm-hmm. which I used to play, um, alto, and then, then I got into sax. And you went to college, didn't you, and studied music, I believe, as well? Because I know you came down to London later on, but... Uh, That's right, yeah. You had- I went to a marvelous place called Dartington college which isn't in, in existence anymore now it's it's been relocated but it was a great place mm. with all sorts of different styles of music all going on at once um so it was a wonderful place to learn it had um, a lot of, of classical and uh 
baroque music and some jazz and um, some Indian music. They had some Indian teachers from India and they had a Japanese uh, shakuhachi flute teacher from Japan. They had all sorts going on. So it was a great sort of melting pot for music artists. And then yeah. it was after that you came down to London for the first time, was it, and went to the Guildhall? That's right, for a postgraduate year. What was your right. postgrad in then? Was that in jazz performance? It was, a jazz, it was the very beginnings of their jazz course, actually. Oh, so you were one of the first, were you? Yeah, I yeah. think so, yeah. So, and that was, what, a year or two years as a post? It was just a one year. One year. So that brought you down to London, and after that, pretty much you stayed down here, did you? Yeah. So were you making good contacts while you were at uh, the Guildhall? Because I know that's yeah, often a breeding ground, isn't it? Yeah. It was marvellous, actually, yeah. And also began to get some work there because it was you'd see somebody in the foyer of the, of the college and they'd say, hey, what are you doing? Do you want to come and do this session? I've often heard that is the case, that once you're there, you make so many good contacts. So yeah. did you pretty much stay down in London after that? Yeah. You did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So gigs were coming by that stage? Yeah, stuff was starting to drift in. And yeah, and you've just got to be in the scene and hang out, haven't you? You've got to be there. And I understand that one of the big breaks for you was when you met up with Jim Mullen, who we've had on the show during the course of this year. Yeah, Jim. Um, well, yeah, well uh, um, in the late 80s, me and, and some of my friends used to go to the old 606 in uh, Kings Road, Kings Road yeah. pretty much every night and, and jam in the interval breaks and jam after the gigs and things uh, till the early hours. And, and Jim Mullen used to go there a lot. So I met Jim and Don Weller. And, and then uh, Jim asked me to join his band. So a lot of stuff came from the 606. And, well, I know that's been obviously during the course of a normal year. You're down with us at the club three or four times a year at least, aren't you? But yeah. uh, so with Jim, with the exposure to Jim, obviously I'm assuming that got you a lot of gigs with his band and suddenly you were on the scene, your name was getting known. Yeah, well, Jim had just, uh, he was rethinking his, his thing after Morrissey Mullen. Mm -hmm. but Dick and Jim had gone separate ways. And so he was launching a new quartet with Lawrence Cotterley and Ian Thomas and myself. And um, so we LCD were LCD quartet, was that, was, was that the one? Is that what it was called? I have heard no, of it. No, it was just called the, I know what you, that's something else actually entirely. That was something with Martin Drew, LCD. Oh, right. Yeah. I, I, it rang a bell. That was that was something, yeah. I think we had a trio for a Both short while. Both now. It's a really different thing. <laughs> no, this was called the Jim Mullen Quartet. And, right. Um, and we toured around. That's the first opportunity, I think, I got to play at Ronnie Scott's. And then sort of that started another ball roll. So Which is what I was great, just going to say, so, because yeah. after playing with Jim, you ended up in the Ronnie's Quintet, didn't you? That's right. Yeah. I was lucky enough to play at the club with my own quartet. And then after that, got the call to get for one Ronnie Scott date that they couldn't fill and then it kind of snowballed from then. Mm. So obviously the gigs were coming thick and fast by this stage. You were with Jim, you were with the Ronnie's Quintet and with your own band as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, and then what stage did uh, being an educator come into play for you? Because I know that's a, a very large part of your life currently, isn't it? I know you said you've always been yeah. online uh, education, which you've had to do recently. Yeah, yeah. I've always kept it, uh, been, you know, keen to put, pass on the information and stuff and, and keep, you know, stimulating new players and things. And I've always had a bit of a teaching thing going on as a, just in case, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, second string to the bow, which this year is probably to be a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's finally paid off now, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Are you still yeah, working yeah, at the RCM? Are you still at the Royal College? Yeah, that's yeah. I was uh, 
a thing. The jazz thing's grown and grown there over the years. Well, it's amazing how many of the jazz courses have suddenly grown because back way back when it's kind of Leeds was almost the only one, wasn't it? And suddenly the other conservatoires and colleges began to catch on. And now there are great jazz courses, the length and breadth of the country. Yeah, there's a lot of interest, yeah. And uh, you've managed to tour Europe and worldwide as well. I know, again, the meeting with Arturio uh, was a great thing meeting for you, wasn't it? Arturo Sandoval, yeah. Actually, the very first time I played at Ronnie's was opposite his bat, um, and that was in the late 1980s. Mm -hmm. I think that was another Ronnie thing that Ronnie would recommend people to play when if someone international needed a deputy yeah. For whatever reason, and this particular thing started because of somebody missing a flight or visa problems or something like that. So you're at the right place, right time, and they'd heard you play, and yeah, that, that led to quite a few gigs for you. That's quite a long term. No, it wasn't. It was a short. It was only a few things actually. Arturo Sandoval, unfortunately, but it was a great thing. Big, mm. Biggest challenge I've ever had to do, I think, really. Because in what way? Well, it was all very high, high tech, and you know high speed and, and, uh, and full on. Mm. I mean, the, the, the gig is to start with giant steps, which you may know is a challenging tune. And <laughs> it it's, is. It's super fast. And then the first solo was a tenor solo and he'd just wander off and leave me there. <laughs> and Lurch doing it. So it was, it was a real kind of, the second set was Cherokee and it was the same story. Oh, <laughs> so again, was, again, another one. <laughs> that's not exactly a layback number, is it? <laughs> no, no. Oh, so, so that's why it was such high pressure then. And presumably you didn't know many of the band at that point, so you were pretty much on your own, were you? It's like a... It was a smallish band, actually. It was a smallish band. Um, drums, yeah, yeah. Uh. And you mentioned, if I can just go back to the uh, educating for a bit, you mentioned that you'd been doing a lot of online as a course of necessity uh, during the course this year. How that's work, How has that worked for you technically? Because obviously the sax being the type of instrument that it is, yeah. has it been hard to judge how people are playing? Or do you work more technically? How do you actually structure online tutoring for saxes? Well, it's actually worked really well, actually. Some of the, the technology now, uh, these technology companies have jumped on, on this. And uh, yeah, it's actually been pretty good. I mean, really, providing the... the I mean, at the beginning of the lockdown, there seemed to be that people had a lot, a little bit of problem with their broadbands here and there, and so you had a few everybody was using it. That was the problem. problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the big, I think, yeah, the big um, shortcoming is really the fact that the sound qualities can be a bit poor, so you mm -hmm. can't really judge. And um, and if you're with young people, also saxophone goes wrong, and there's nothing you. That can be that can be tricky, you know. So, some of the students you've had at the conservatoires, have you been tuning those online as well? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. So even Absolutely, the students yeah, of good abilities, to, yeah, yeah, and they've had to finish their degree online, I assume. Yeah, which has been the oddest thing, hasn't it? That's a whole other thing. That yeah. So you mentioned your connections with Steve and the Six, going back to the original club in Chelsea. When did you first come across Steve? Um, it would have been about 86 or 87 when I was out of the Guild Hall and it was a very, oh, you've got to go down to 606, it was really intimidating, this is where all the guys go and we'd go, we'd be, it would be a big deal, we'd go down there, Courtney Pine would be playing, Don Weller would pl be playing almost every night, he was a, an absolute monster player, mm. Don Weller, I mean, because people tend to forget that he had an incredible saxophone technique. I remember when he came down to Dartington, Brian Spring, the drummer, he had a ridiculous 
sax playing technique. As a sax player, when you're watching like that, is there much you can pick up from their technique? Yeah, actually. You really can, yeah. Yeah, yeah there really is. There's nothing like uh, a beat, you know, seeing it firsthand, yeah. I, that, I had a band with them um, for a short while with Art Thiemann and Don Weller, the three jazz tenors. Mm-hmm. I learned an awful lot from those two, just by standing next to them and watching them do what they did, because mm-hmm. those guys, they know an awful lot of old stuff, old fingerings and things that people have forgotten about, alternative techniques that, you know, no one does, and, and guys wouldn't teach each other kind of thing, is it? Yeah, it's almost the, the hidden the hidden secret. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, the sax is such a complicated instrument, and many of our listeners perhaps might not be lucky enough to see one up close or hold on, but they are an incredibly complex instrument, aren't they? they well, you can do a lot of and... complicated stuff with it, I think. It's basically a tube, isn't it, with a piece of bamboo in it. <laughs> so in a way, it's quite, and, and holds, you know. Yeah. I mean, so in a in some ways it's quite simple but you can do it it's a peculiar instrument actually an awful alternative and and versatile stuff with it that's why it's it's a popular absolutely yeah Thank you. 
finishing up the first part of our interview with Mornington with a track by Michelle Legrand, Passionaria, which uh, featured a fantastic sax solo from the one and only Phil Woods. So we have got more from Mornington in a few moments' time, but next, another track from our feature album this week from Sophia Ripley. As I said, it's an album full of jazz standards, and the next one we've got lined up for you from the album The Red Shoe is Body and Soul. Listen online, on DAB and on smart speakers. Straight ahead with London's leading music venue. The 606 Club. My heart is sad and lonely For you I sigh Thank you. 
One more track from our featured album of the week, The Red Shed from Sophia Ripley, and that'll be closing out the show. But uh, let's talk about some live music down at the Six Show. It's been a long time since I've been in a position to do that. But as of later today on Thursday, we have got four dates lined up for you, four gigs. Uh, Jim Mullen and his organ trio are with us a little later on. And then on Friday, Dave Lewis, a sax-led groove quartet, is down with us. On Saturday, our guest on the show this week, Mornington Lockett, and you'll hear Mornington talking about the gig a little bit later on in the second part of the interview that's coming up now. And on Sunday... Barb Junger. Go over to the website 606club.co.uk. All the details will be there. But carrying on now with our interview, and we're going to hear a track to get us going on that second part of the interview, Falling in Love. Thank you. 
And um, well, you mentioned Martin Drew a short while ago. Of course, you did form um, a, a duo with him, didn't you? And you took on what was to become the new Jazz Couriers, which I assume was a nod to Ronnie and Tubby. Would that be right? Yeah. They were a great sound. I don't know sound, how the they? idea came about. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I don't know how the idea came about. But it was obviously after Ronnie had, had, had passed on. And mm-hmm. then we were, we'd were we been doing a quartet for a while and uh, trying all sorts of things. Yeah. I don't know who had the idea. But, uh, but yeah, that was great because we had to del- delve into some 1950s stuff and uh, do a lot of writing and arranging stuff it was really uh, enlightening to do that yeah well I, I, the music of the new jazz couriers i absolutely love and, and certainly tubby hayes is somebody i played on the show an awful lot and i know how popular he became over in the states wasn't he been sort of the 60s he was really hot property over there yeah well he said yeah he certainly recorded a couple of albums didn't he mm. yeah yeah and um, and how long did that run on for the the new jazz careers? Was that something that you invested much time in? Uh, it was from around about two thousand, I think. We started doing that for about I can't remember now, maybe eight years or something like that, or maybe ten years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we yeah went through various stages. It became a band with, uh, with vibraphone and on one saxophone at one stage. Then uh, next, with, uh, Jim Hart on vibraphone. Became a kind of new incarnation of it. Because Tub- Tubby was a vibes player as well, wasn't he? That's right. Yeah. So there was a lot of material that we could do there. We also started to get into Victor Feldman and stuff, and obviously he played, played vibes and piano. So. And a uh, question I perhaps should have asked you earlier on. When you were young and getting into the sax, who are your influences? You talk about when you're watching people in technique, but presumably there were sax players you heard early on that you really liked the sound of or the way they went yeah. about their work. Who would, who would those have been? Who would have been the big influences on you? It would have been on Hump's program on the radio, mm-hmm. and whatever he played, I was into. <laughs> I think because it was the, the Isle of Wight in the seventies. It was the only um, access you had with the radio. You heard that was it. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah, Phil Woods, Stan Getz, George Coleman. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, those were the early guys. And, well, fine names to be emulating and listening to for sure, aren't they? Yeah. Phil Woods is actually a beautiful, beautiful alto player, isn't he? I've played some of his work before. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Gorgeous. He's not really had kind of perhaps a recognition. I mean, yeah, his, his whole technique, his production, it, it, on every level, it's just amazing, yeah. And you said that you had more time to practice because of the lockdown. How do you actually structure your practice? Is there a way you go about things at you know, this level, a distinguished level that you're at? Do you still structure your practice? Yeah, you still go through the basics every day. Is that <laughs> the long to, notes? Uh, and Yeah, it's like going to the gym. You have to keep everything going. You're right, yeah. Technique stuff, the studies, and then the, and the harmony stuff. Yeah, you just have to go through it all just to keep it going, yeah. And, of course, you've got associations with a couple of sponsors, I assume we'd call them, with Trevor James Saxes and with the Sios mouthpieces. If we just start with the Saxes first of all, um, I don't know many people that necessarily play the Trevor James. You know, a lot of people go, always go after the Selmas or the Cons. When did you make your association with Trevor James Saxes? What was it you particularly uh, like about them? I got drawn into it because I was uh, working with a company called P. Moriat for a while who I discovered while I was on tour uh, and they were working with the, the Trevor James company and a hand in glove to them with promotion and then one day I think I was down at the factory and they said look we've got this thing it's the new signature custom sax we're making would you like to try it mm -hmm. and it was amazing yeah it's a really interesting horn they've, they've, they've got some new uh, technical ways to make it work smooth fast and sound good mm -hmm. and but but it it still sounds old-fashioned as well which is what you want so because it's the, got that thing you know because with the old selmas i mean i've got a, a lovely selma but it, but it, i've more or less played it to death now you know i was going to say there's always the uh, selmas i know certainly the mark sixes but all of the selmas have got this halcyon uh aura about them that everyone harks back to them all the time and it was yeah. a very short period of time that i know they made those particular saxes and they were supposed to sound particularly was it the altos in particular were supposed to be second to none at that period it's the tenors really the selma mark six tenors those are the, the ones that that's all the um great records are made you know and so, and the, so that's if you're ever trying to emulate that sound that's mm -hmm. what we go towards but unfortunately now you know they're 50 year old instruments and uh does that make them quite temperamental if you're out, say, touring with them with the older classic horns? Are they not as robust as do, modern, yeah. modern horns, I assume? So you're Trevor James, for instance, you could pretty much get out and play day after day after day, whereas the classic Selmers might are just going to be more temperamental, like a vintage car, I guess. It is a bit like a vintage car, yeah. yeah. And car. then, of course, on to the, the part that where the sound always starts for the sax players, most instruments, is the mouthpiece. Yeah. And you've got a particular setup going there as well, haven't you, with the Sios mouthpieces? Yeah, that's a remarkable thing from that's come about in the last year or so. Um, it's just a social media message. Would you like to try this? And I said, well, would you like to send me something? And mm -hmm. uh, and they were very uh, friendly and forthcoming from Paris. Um, so I was the kind of scientist. For the scientist. sax players that are listening, what's the science behind them? What makes their mouthpieces so individual? Oh, well, uh, well, uh, that's it. I mean, they're 3D printed and they've got very, very fine equipment so they can actually uh, modify it slightly. And I mean, previously you had to buy a mouthpiece and then you were happy with it or you weren't. Or if you were very lucky, you could get someone to fix it up for you. I used to, when I first started in London, I used to go to the BBC studios in 
Ealing where there was a marvelous guy called Bill Rothel who used to be a machinist and he could he could slightly tinker with these with the mouthpieces because some of the 80s mouthpieces weren't very well made they came two cops and things and he used to fix them up for me and, and you know with a lot of precise metalwork and stuff uh, and but obviously now with Sios if you want it to be a little bit brighter a little bit darker etc etc they can do it and does it sort of match to your bite and so on, your embouchure? Do they take into account that? Do they have an old mouthpiece of yours they look at and try and work to? Or Yeah, you do. Yeah, you say what, what you've been using so far and, and what sort of music you like and what, what you're aiming for. And then, yeah, after a few goes, we managed to come up with alto and, and soprano and tenor that suited me. Mm-hmm. And they like become my signature mouthpieces. I couldn't be happier, actually. And did you use the, did you use the same reed on the mouthpieces that you yeah, previously? Yeah, more or less. Yeah. yeah, because I wasn't trying to change anything. Well, that's what I was going to say. Too much, it, it, you know, except to make it better. So yeah, that's yeah. a bit, quite a bold state uh, move to have made. Those a lot of guys at your point in your careers wouldn't be looking to make a, such a sea change on a, the mouthpiece. Yeah. It's because you kind of stick with that setup pretty much for years to come, don't you? So yeah. you obviously like to embrace new technology and give it a go and see how it sounds. Yeah, you're always trying to look for the next thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't have any kind of expectations, really, but it just happened that, yeah, it's opened up a new kind of thing because I always played, you know, hard metal mouthpieces. Mm-hmm. And now I've been able to go into some softer sounds, some different sounds. Some other players that I've been influenced for, like, say, Joe Henderson, for example, that I'd never tried to get the sonorities of mm-hmm. or, or Sonny Rollins or something like that it, it's tight yeah it's been a revelation really so it's opened up new yeah. doors for you even now and so oh, yeah. what do you think the future is for you as you can see it from here on and as lockdown begins to ease um, have you got any gigs that are in the, well obviously we've got your gig coming up uh, this coming Saturday at the club haven't you yeah I've got a gig an folks. actual gig with people <laughs> in front of you not a virtual I believe so I believe that this is going to be the one of the first or the first work. So who's, your, who's your band with you on that gig? Uh, yeah, it's a it's a fairly new kind of lineup for me. It's well, it's uh, we've got Gareth Williams on piano who I played with a lot. Played mm-hmm. with Martin Drews Quartet. Uh, you know, he's the master of all things really on the piano. And then I've got uh, Adam King on bass and mm-hmm. Sophie Alloway on drums, who I've been playing with quite a lot recently. Uh, at one of the 606 rival places, the Troubadour, which mm-hmm. is a corner in Brompton Road, which mm-hmm. is another nice little gig that's not happening anymore at the moment. Um, and we've been working on some trio stuff, so I'm trying something a little bit different for this, this one, so it should be good. Got what can people good. expect? What sort, of, what sort of sounds, what sort of books are you taking? Mm-hmm. Well, actually, during the lockdown, I've been going back into uh, the core of things, and I've actually learned many of the tunes that I've never bothered or been able to learn in the past. So we're doing some kind of, we're having another look at some Benny uh, Golson and some Dizzy Gillespie stuff. You know, ones that where people have said to me, do you know this, do you know that? And I just was ashamed that I didn't uh, because they're quite hard. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've, I've, I'm doing a few things, not maybe not new, but... Uh, and things you, that I've always wanted to play. Have you been able to get together with a band much to rehearse? I don't know what the social no. restrictions are at the moment. I don't know how guys can get together at the moment. So no. Pretty much we're turning up on a day. But we've played right? together loads in the past. Which is the stunning um, thing. I've mentioned it many times on the show. When you watch live jazz with 
great musicians in front of you, the way that you guys can just pick up on the day, be it improv, be it reading, but you just know one another and you connect and play. That's the amazing thing of watching great jazz. Yeah, but and also if you try and sur- surround yourself with people, people who are sympathetic and you know what you know what they're likely to how they're likely to respond. So, bar the bar, going forward past the gig on Saturday, have you got any other gigs in the diary at the moment? No, nothing whatsoever. <laughs> a short answer. We're waiting and waiting and seeing, aren't we? Yes, so yes. Everything's up in the air. Continues to be up in the air. Yeah, I mean, as we record this today, I know that the entertainment industry has been having demonstrations. Polite demonstration sounds <laughs> very political, but just trying to say, look, it's about time that you release our industry and let help us as well because it's it's so important to the economy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a massive employer, isn't it? So, well, let's hope that this is the first of many. And if people want to take a look at Mornington's website, it is Mornington Lockett, and that's with two T's at the end, dot com. And uh, if you go over to 606club.co.uk, you can get yourself tickets there for the gig that's coming up this weekend and go and see the man play and hear what he's been getting up to and uh, working on during lockdown. I just hope you get some more gigs. Is there any recording you think you might do this year? Um. Yes it's, uh, yes, it's quite possible, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that's... I mean, I've got no media plans. I, I'm just um, practising, making videos, you know, keeping ideas going and... Uh, and do you know if the colleges are going to reopen back up in September, October? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's another thing that they're having to think very hard about at the moment, exactly what that's going to mm. entail, how that's going to take... take. I mean, I, I mean, I obviously plan to be doing most of it online still mm-hmm. but we'll have to see won't we changes, really changes for everybody it? it really is yeah times they are a changing that's for sure Mornington I know as I say you're regular down at the club with us so many times during the course of the year and I know you've got big ties with Steve and everyone down at six so it's been long overdue getting you on so thank you for your time go and find some shade try not to melt yes absolutely yeah, well, you've, yeah. you've got a gig coming up so <laughs> we need you healthy and well Yes, true. That's all going to do some practice, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's the thing to be doing, yeah. Mornington, yeah. many thanks indeed for your time. All right. Thanks. Really appreciate Great it. Thank you. you. And you. Thank all you so much indeed. Thank you.
we close the interview with Mornington with his version of the Tubby Hayes number, A Pint of Bitter. And don't forget, Mornington is down at the club live this weekend, Saturday the 22nd. All the details are on the website, 606club.co.uk. So we're going to play a couple of tracks back to back for you now. First of all, we've got a track called Hello Young Lovers, lined up from Callum Ow and Claire Martin. And after that, something from Kansas Smitty. Straight Ahead with David Lewis. Young lovers, whoever you are I hope your troubles are few All my good wishes go with you tonight I've been in love like you Be brave, young lovers, and follow your star Be brave and faithful and true Cling very close to each other tonight I've been in love like you I know how it feels to have wings on your heels And to fly down the street in a trance You fly down the street on a chance that you'll meet And you'll meet, not really by chance Don't cry, young lovers, whatever you do Don't cry because I'm alone All of my memories are happy tonight
mentioned, the second of those two tracks was a track from Kansas Smitty. Of course, they've got a lovely club of their own over in East London, but they're regulars with us down at the Six as well. And during lockdown, they've released an album, Things Happened Here. And the track we just listened to, which was composed by Dave Arch, was Judgment. Next, we've got some classic and sweet Stan Getz, Au Grand Amour. <laughs> Thank you. 
Chick Greer on the piano, Ron Carter was on the bass, and Grady Tate was on the drums. You'll find it on Stan's album from 1967 called Sweet Rain. And I'm afraid we are out of time. Many thanks indeed to Mornington. And uh, back with me next week, last Wednesday of the month, is Joe Harrop. And we've got a guest with us, Esther Bennett. So I hope you can join us then on the show. And the final track on this week's set is another track from our featured album of the week from Sophia Ripley, The uh, Red Shed. We're finishing on a duet with Alan Horton on the piano. And this is Love for Sale.
its pipe of love in their childish way I know every type of love better than they and if you want the thrill of love I've been through the mill of love oh love new love every love but true Você